Perkins. Oh, that was so soulful. <laughs> welcome to the Ray Or kind of like share. Hello, friends. Welcome once again to the Brain Candy Podcast. <laughs> it's more than I could ever ask for. Oh, God. I was doing a lot of hair flipping, too. Welcome, like welcome to the Brain Candy Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Susie Meister. I'm Sarah Rice. Uh, and today... I'm like basically just gonna recap my evening from last night. I'm so jelly. Yeah. Before I tell you about my night last night, I want to encourage anybody out there that maybe doesn't know what wine to buy or doesn't know the first thing about wine to give wink.com a try, which is winc.com. And basically you take a test and you answer a bunch of questions about like what kind of food you like, what kind of, you know, coffee, tea, drinks you like, and it finds out what what your palate is all about. And then it recommends wine, sends them right to your door, and they're delish. And for our listeners, you're going to get $22 off your first order if you go to wink.com slash brain candy. That's W-I-N-C dot com slash brain candy. So take the quiz, get some nice vino, and cheers to that. All right, back to the show. Last night, I went to see the great and powerful mm-hmm. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is an astrophysicist. You mm-hmm. might have heard of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a wonderful night. Sarah and Landon bought the tickets and then were unable to go, which was you know sad for them, happy for me. Yeah. And... Well, I went, I took my friend Caravello, who is in the entertainment industry. What I forgot is that she's one of the animators for Cosmos. Oh my God. And she was like, she's a are, friend. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You took some, get out. But I truly didn't know that. I just thought she's a woman. And here I am giving you guys tickets. Right. She, <laughs> she, she referred to him as her friend. I was like, oh my God, what well, is I, happening? I, you mean I was one degree away? Yeah. And I didn't even get to go. Right. But Tell we, me everything. We both really enjoyed it, and I did learn a lot of nerdy stuff. Oh so God. I thought, you didn't get to go. Yes. So I'm I like thirsty least... for nerdy stuff right now. Please, <laughs> quench my thirst. Well, I had, first of all, I'd never been to the Dolby Theater. Oh, yeah, me neither. Is that where the Oscars are? Because I, oh. it used to be called the Kodak. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Is the... It's Dolby, right Kodak, there, both kind Hollywood of and Highland. Yeah, that is that. Maybe it's that gotta is be it. it. It's gotta be. Does so, it look like it? Well, I guess so. But you know how it is. It looks small. But it, the, there were four levels. Uh huh. Landon sprung for the front and center. Oh, he did because it was a birthday present for me. Oh my god, it's so great. Yeah. I mean, these were great seats. Yeah. And there was nobody in front of me. It was as if like everyone <sighs> had like left room for you on your birthday. Oh. That sounds real nice. <laughs> uh, no, but it was a really nice experience. But I'd never been to the theater, and it, you know it was really cool. Just to, that that so many people, three thousand four hundred people were there. Oh my gosh! Okay, tell me what the makeup of the audience was. Um, it was was a mostly white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, older, older. Yeah, like how old? Middle-aged, I would say. Really? 40s, 50s. I was really expecting it to be like a hopping There were some of that, but I mean, overall, I would say the majority okay. were older All folks. Right. Maybe because it was a little expensive. Yeah. Um, 
But and what was the name of the show? What was the name of the the thing he was doing? I don't even. I didn't. Should I pull that it up? didn't say like it was just like an evening with Neil deGrasse yeah, Tyson. Yeah, yeah, I think that is what it but is. But he was promoting his new book, which is called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Yeah, which is really cute. And they gave everybody a book. <gasps> oh my god! I mean, you can have it. <sighs> Thanks. It is signed by him. <gasps> Shut up! It is. He signed all of them. So there you go. Cool. <laughs> you do deserve it. Did you wear? Uh, you wore something special. We have new merch. The shirt that I was so excited to wear is called our "You Matter" shirt, and it says "You Matter," and then there's like a what do you call atomic that? symbol? Yeah. Like the atomic element symbol. Yeah, get it? Matter. Yeah, like matter, like atomic matter. That's ah! a brain Did he candy. give you like a little wink, wink for it or anything? He no, should have. It's kind of dark in there. You should have like flashed in your titties and then yeah, pulled the shirt down, right? To, like, like hook them with the tits. We get them with, the with the science. <laughs> yeah, if you guys want to check out our new merch, we have lots of nerdy gear. We mm-hmm. just posted. There's the You Matter shirt, which is really cute. Steminist and Brainiac. And listen, people, really who cute stuff. Needed to comment on my picture of the Steminist photo and say, "What about liberal arts? What about steam? What about?" Steminist doesn't rhyme with feminist, but Steminist does. So the shirt's funnier how, if it's Steminist. How many Steminist. people are we talking about? Four out of seven of the comments were that. And I was like, ladies, I'm trying to do something to empower you. Don't uh, bite the hand that, you know, like... It just I just seems- don't like the idea that supporting STEM right. is mutually Means- exclusive. You're talking to somebody who... They- I, I don't have to explain myself. This is dumb. <laughs> this is dumb. Well, at any rate, uh, three out of... I was right. Three out of seven. That's and one of the seven was my mom. So three she out of six. She liked the shirt. She said, sign me up. Yes, love it. <laughs> She'll ask for a free one. Let's be real. Yeah, I mean... Th- the, you guys should check them out. They're on the website, thebraincandypodcast.com. So if you are nerdy and proud like us, yeah, you'll love them. Or you can just click the link in my bio. Yeah, so um, the show began at 8, which is, by the way, pretty late for yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> say Because it was all the way in time. Hollywood, too. Yeah. Woo! So, but hey, you will drink a coffee late in the evening for Mr. Tyson. Yeah. I didn't drink wine because I was like, I'll fall asleep right there in the right, sea. Right, you can't. So, anyway, he started with, um, it was just sort of an introduction to science and was beginning with, like, um, this this guy called Herschel, last name Herschel, forget his first name, who was the first person to look at a prism and the light that shines through and wonder if if the lights, the light that shines through, the Mm -hmm. different shades, have different temperatures. And that was like the first, and he was commenting on, and they do how cool it is that you would even think to ask that question. Yes. So that's one thing that I uh, liked was that just asking questions is a great starting point. Did he talk to you about rainbows? Not really. Do you want to hear something cool about rainbows? No. Yeah. That Neil deGrasse yes. Tyson taught me. Yes. A first of all, the human eye is the only eye that can see a rainbow. Because of how we pick up light and how we see color, the human eye, we have a a special eye that can see rainbow. And also, every rainbow that you see is unique to only you. Have you 
and you can you know this to be true because have you ever seen a rainbow from the side? It's always straight on, no matter what perspective you're looking at it from. You're always going to see the it, front view. The front view. Because? Because of how the light's reflecting. And it has more to do with how your eye interprets that light than what you're actually seeing. Hmm. So when you, when you, when that light bounces off the water, whatever, it's the water and the light and the clouds and da da da, and you're receiving that light, that's unique. How you see that rainbow is unique to you. So every rainbow is your own rainbow. That's nice. It's so nice. And, you know, this is going to sound like, wow, Suze, I can't believe you didn't know that. But he was talking about that, you know, the red, orange, yellow, green, mm-hmm. uh, indigo, violet, mm-hmm. blue, blue indigo, or uh, blue whatever indigo it is. Yeah, Roy G. Biv. Roy G. Biv. Um, and then he was like, you know, and then ultraviolet, uh, X-rays and gamma rays. Mm-hmm. I, of course, know that there are ultraviolet x-rays and gamma rays but i never thought of them connected to the rainbow or the color those lights i never put them in the same category uh-huh. but that they it's just are, a further yeah and that your eye doesn't see those right. ones but they're the same exact thing right that's so wild right you well know? that's what kind of ma- is makes me go like hmm about other senses that are more finely tuned on other people and like maybe we just don't have because gamma rays and x-rays have always existed Mm -hmm. we've just only had the technology to really harness that energy yeah in the last hundred years or so even less well at the very beginning of the night he was talking about the senses you know sight Uh all those five senses and then asked how many people in the audience believe that they have a sixth sense Uh and i mean there was like 50 people that raised their hands and i was like kind of the truth is you have a lot more than that well but they he he was referring to extrasensory perception and i mean they're at a a science event and i was surprised how many people were like Like, yeah i can i'm psychic yeah and that surprised me. And what did he say to that? What was his... He's like, well, I'm not going to comment on the fact uh, that you think that you have a sixth sense, but- Oh, they said, like, how many people think they... Well, I, that's almost like a trick question because I would raise my hand not really understanding the question because uh, we now know, believe that location and your ability to orient yourself in time and space is considered another sense. Hmm. Because you can take somebody spin around, like... Drop them off in the middle of nowhere, and often they'll have a orientation to what is north and south and east and west, or location of the ocean, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that, what is that? That's a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he or was even like pretty mothers precise, who though. have dreams about their children, and there's like idea that that also could be. Yeah, twins say that, mm-hmm. right? So there's some sort of like, well. He's, he kind of was specific, though. He was yeah, like, yeah. do you think you can tell the future, essentially? Right. Uh, and then he just kind of glossed over it and giggled, and then he talked about the way that machines that we've created provide a lot of those senses, so we don't need to worry about whether we can do it because we have these other things that can help us, and here are the tools that we've created, yes. blah, blah, blah. Oh, I love it! It was really good. You would have loved it. Oh. Sorry you couldn't go. Hey, it's okay. Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um, so one of the things that he talked about that I thought would be relevant for our purposes yeah was he was talking about many years ago when he became director of whatever organization and the uh, NBC Nightly News called and wanted some clarification about a particular solar body. And uh, and they asked him about it and he talked about the here's how it works and the planets and the gravity and this and that. And he did like this little hip motion to show like the revolution of whatever body. And then that night he told his family to watch. And then, of course, the only bit they showed was the hip motion. The hip motion. And he learned something, which is that he had to become a guy that does sound bites. And mm-hmm. that he had to be able to put really complicated things into like three sentences. Like one that describes the the basics of the fact, one that is entertaining. And one sentence that maybe makes you laugh and, yes. and or giggle, or whatever. He's smile. so good at that. He is, and that's why he's probably the most famous astrophysicist on the yep. planet. But but he said I had to learn how to make sound bites so that I didn't get sound bitten. And oh, I thought, I love that quote. Yeah, and I thought of you and me and how when you work in the media, how you have to be one step ahead of their game because it is a game. Yes. And it's about who's playing who. Maybe not in a gross way. You know, people are just trying to make a buck and make money on on entertainment. Yes. But the news is included in that system. Even though it's the news, they have to get ratings to get sponsors and to get ratings, you have to get viewers. To get viewers, you have to be entertaining. That's right. So Neil deGrasse Tyson is having to navigate... Oh, he does such a good job, too. World of... He's kind of dorky, though, obviously. He's like the perfect kind of cool. And, I mean, did you, have you seen pictures of him from... This is basically going to be like a Sarah's in Love with Neil deGrasse Tyson episode. <laughs> and why I love... Have you seen pictures of him from college? Oh! He was also on the up. wrestling team. Mm. And so Google Neil deGrasse Tyson high school or wrestling. Or college, I think it was. College. Um... Yeah, he was, uh, he's super tall, and he was, uh, ripped. Ripped. Yes, ripped. Google it. I am, I'm sorry, I'm focused. You can even type in ripped. Okay. (laughs) Let's see, images. Mm Mm-hmm. We should put this in the newsletter. Yeah. Oh. Oh, let me see his wiener. What? Well, I mean, look at his little singlet. Yeah, see, look at those arms. Woo! Yeah, I mean, that's... He's got that, like, 70s, like, he can also smoke weed with me in the the back of the school kind of look, like... I wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating crackers. (laughs) That's for sure. That also sounds like it could be a play on you being a white girl (laughs) and uh, him going down on you. I'm just saying, that was perfect. Everything about that was done right. That's true. Oh, yeah, look at this guy. I mean, that's Bill Nye on the... But oh, that, come on! 
wouldn't let him do more than eat my crackers. <laughs> I mean. I know. And you know what else I found out about him? Mm-hmm. He I'm likes sorry. smoking the dupes. Oh, yeah. Yep. He, was he on didn't D- talk about that. He was on Jesus and Marrow, which is like one of my favorite podcasts. I'm not listening to this. But he was on their TV show on Viceland. Uh and he, I, I'm going to put up in the newsletter, I'm going to put the clip of him uh, from the show because he's, t- I think this is where I heard the rainbow thing too. And he talks to them about time travel and about like our universe, but it's just so perfect because his eyes are just for blazing. Real. Oh, for real, for real. And what, what do you think? I'm surprised because I could see him being like no, one of those people that, um, you know, doesn't want to make his mind be any less sharp. You know, there's people like that. So listen, this is on a list of uh, seven successful, famous cannabis smoking geniuses. Uh, So I'm going to just read what it says about him. It says, okay, disclaimer time. Neil deGrasse Tyson has never publicly advocated or admitted to marijuana use. This also, this is from a while back. This is from 2014. Before it was legal in California. Uh, It says that he, in fact, has been on record uh, talking about the negative effects of conscious altering substances as a pathway to understanding. Now that that's out of our way, let's begin the wild speculation that is such a hallmark of modern journalism. With a mind like a hammer that cracks rocks of ignorance and a persona that makes learning as enticing as tipping back a cold court, Colt 45... Mr. DeGrasse really is the <laughs> Billy D. Williams of astrophysics. Recently, a video of Tyson slowed down so as to appear stone has been circulating the web. While this video is clearly altered for the sake of humor, what is telling is Tyson's reaction to the video. Instead of shunning the video, Tyson has shown a certain appreciation for it himself, clearly finding the humor in the speculation that he gets stoned rather than trying to distance himself from it. And... Tyson now helms the, okay, blah, 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 um, on a more speculative note, those interested in seeing what Tyson might actually be like Stone should consider watching the documentary Apocalypse How, which features the red-eyed Tyson throwing out oddly spirited rant about the ease of the comic destruction of all life on Earth. Wow. And if you watch the clip of him from Jesus Amaro, which I will put on, he's clearly stoned. And that's like the whole premise of their show is like they have guests come on. They're always stoned and they have their guests come on like and they just talk about things stony stuff. Wow. And I love it. Damn. So good. I mean that's he cool. Would. You know who else is on the list of the seven famous cannabis smoking geniuses? Who? Uh Rick Steves. He uh Who the heck is that? Yeah, that's what I said. Uh, I guess he's a, a renowned world traveler and travel expert. He built an empire out of his passion uh, for I think he has those Rick Steves. It's like the Lonely. Pl- Maybe he does like the Lonely Planet books or something like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like uh, uh, I've heard of his name, Carl Sagan. Mm. Yeah. So he did that. Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Uh, then Neil, Seth Green. I hung out with him. Not hung out. I went to his studio once, and yeah. he was there, and we talked, and we talked about smoking pot. Um, <laughs> Bill Gates. Wow, good for Bill. MC Chris. MC Chris, I don't even know who who that is, but I guess he's a, uh, you know, MC. But is he a genius? It says genius. Yeah, it says, uh, it says his genius, 
He's an underground sensation in certain circles. MC Chris is one of the founding rappers of a genre known as nerdcore. I didn't even know about this. I need to know about nerdcore. What? Oh, he was on the Aqua Teen Hunger. Basically, everybody who works at Comet at Cartoon Network is getting stoned. Right. Uh, Steve Jobs is also on the list. Well, R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> I, come on, it was he. It wasn't the pot that killed him. And Obama, huge stone. I mean, come back on. in the day. Oh, more than that, Obama was in inhaled, a club but... called. Let me see, Obama. Um, huge stone. Yeah, he was in a a. Uh, what was his club in college? And it had a name that was a reference of to smoking. Um, oh my god, I have to find it. Give me a sec. We'll change the subject and I'll find it and then I'll remind okay, you. Okay, one of the things that. Whoa, sorry. Adam. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Did you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. One of the things that I found really interesting last night was that. He put up a slide of the periodic table. Oh. And, you know, so you look at the table and it's often color coded by like groups of like elements. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he did that and, and talked a little bit about the different types of elements and these ones are gold and silver, they're dense and whatever. Yeah. And um, then he changed the graphic to be. That whatever country discovered <gasps> the element, oh wow, was their flag on that yeah. particular element, and so oh my that, god, that's fascinating. It was because I have no idea who discovered what. right, me neither. And so it was the most. Oh, can I guess? Yeah, yeah. I want to say it's like Germany or okay. something in. That would be my guess. Or like Scandin- like uh, Sweden or something like that. What is it? Well, those are really good guesses because the top one is Great Britain with 24. Oh, okay. The U.S. had 20, uh-huh. but Sweden had 18. Didn't I just say Sweden? Yes. Yeah! That's what I mean. You, you know why? Well. What gave it, give it away, though? Hi, Large Hydron Collider. Isn't that in G- Geneva? I don't know because this Sweden thing was news to me. Yeah, it feels like they're really interested in that over there. Wonder why though. Large. Because he said they're an exception with 18, but he didn't say why they were so successful. Hmm. He didn't go into that. And so I, I left. But that's always cool when you leave thinking, I want to learn more yes, about Yes, that's exactly why what Sweden. I think. But then after that was Germany, like you said, and, Swi- and Russia. Swiss- Franco-Swiss border. They really care about their, that. That's weird. i got to look into that. But like you said, Germany was after Sweden and then wow. Russia. I was going to be my other yeah. guess was Russia. But like Canada had one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think Italy had one. And I just thought, Canada is a mystery to me. We have this a lot of Canadian listeners. Yes. And they're, these people in Canada are like stereotypically so damn nice. Mm-hmm. So civilized, so not stupid like us. But then you see that and you're like, wonder why they're not getting all involved in the old uh, Well, here's what I think about that. What? Is that I think that there's a difference between um, seeking out new knowledge and information and then taking the information that is available and putting it to its best use. Mm-hmm. I feel like Canada does a good job like of being environmentally 
conscious, mm-hmm. of being socially conscious. So they've built on a lot of other, like, why waste time, you know, okay, let Sweden go out and do all the research and finding out, you know, all this stuff. And then we're going to take that, we're going to build on there, and we're going to create, you know, a happy, wonderful, you know, functioning, blah, 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 blah. There's a lot, of course, places yeah. to grow with in any with anything. Or in any country, You're, but... You might be right. It's a, it's a strange thing. And then I think about, like, what pushes... Um, so, like, what pushes a country to put money into science? And I just... There are two real interesting articles or documentaries. One was a, a NPR um, report that I heard, and another one was a documentary that I watched about the rise of new countries and the growth of, um, so one of them was on women in, now of course I want, I have to get it right, but it's in a place in Africa that for so long was, what was it? Oh my God, it's killing me that I don't remember. I'm going to, I'll think of the name, but it was a country that has, faced genocide and war for so long that, and before women had no rights and all of a sudden in the last 20 years, now women are the ones like they had to change their entire political system because a lot of the men were dead. Mm -hmm. And now women had to go out and they had to get jobs and they had to, uh, so they, they all of a sudden put tons of money into female education Mm -hmm. and what the fuck is the country that I can't even think of? I think, is it Ghana? No, it's something like, I'll remember it. I'll look up this NPR report. And so I'll give you more, you know, better information than what I'm, you know, explaining right now. But then the other thing I was thinking of was Cuba and Cuba is, has, come out with groundbreaking uh, advancements in cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. Lung cancer in Cuba, they have a vaccine that has something, the success rate is crazy. It's like 78% where it just eats away the tumors of stage four cancer Mm. in people. And also they have another one that um, cures lymphedema. Because they have, and they had to put all this money into science because they, the trade embargo with the United States prevented them from getting any of the treatment that was dis- discovered in the United States or things that were from the United States they didn't have access to. So they had to put tons of money into science and these discoveries. And so now Cuba, and they've just um, recently okayed a... Uh, you know, evidence-based study on this vaccine just this year in 2017 that they're doing a study right now on it. And before they weren't even able to study it. Hmm. So that's my whole point is I think that the nest, the, the, the need, well, that's the phrase, right? Necessity is the mother of invention. Yes. There you go. So I think that's it. It's like you look at a place like Sweden who has, a lot of that other stuff kind of figured. I mean, they have a lot of resources. Yeah. They have a lot of that. So it's like, okay, well, now what else? You have almost like the privilege to mm-hmm. go and look for it because you're not worried about drinking water for your people. Yeah, they, you know? they're sorting it out over there. Whew, that was windy. It's wild. I mean, and just I'm so impressed with 
Everybody has different gifts. Yeah. But it's so impressive when you hear about these people that are working on this stuff that are doing amazing things. And you just think like, wow, to have a mind like that. My mind doesn't work like that. I've read some really good books like um, Bill Bryson's The Brief History of Nearly Everything is really good if you're interested but like don't know where to begin on just the universe. Um, Uh I'll put that in the um, And it was Rwanda I was thinking of. Rwanda. Yeah. And uh, it the genocide changed gender roles so much now that that something like 64% of the uh, parliament seats are now women. Wow. This is a country that women were not allowed to vote or even drive a car or go to school. Right. And now they hold all these. That to me is... Right. It's like the silver lining. That was a terrible genocide. Uh-huh. But... Oh, okay. I'm going to put this in the newsletter. Um, I had an idea. I did an interview with that guy that I mentioned previously, Science Mike. Yeah. Who wrote the uh, Finding God in the Waves, which I think would be cool to put into this episode because... He is an interesting person who really has a grasp on, like in the same way that Neil does, he can make really difficult Mm -hmm. topics accessible if you're not an expert. But he also is a guy that has a spiritual side and wants to combine his passion for science with his um, love of wonder and the... Uh, what what word would I use? Not spirit. I, I, he might use spiritual, but I like just sort of the unknown. Yeah. Well, as um, soon as you said that, your phone lit up and the time was one, two, three, four, which is like, you know, cosmic ooh. sign. Ooh. <laughs> so there you go. I would love to maybe put the Science Mike interview. Uh, I would love that. Because he has some really cool insights and he talks about that weird world between religion and science. And Neil talked about it too. I mean, He's basically saying, keep it to yourself, that there's no place for personal philosophies, personal beliefs, Mm. religion in the conversation about science. And I tend to agree. Yeah. But there, but we as humans are multifaceted. Uh So we could be simultaneously interested in the facts and theories and ideas about how the world works and also be interested in. It's how much we don't know still. Yeah. And how you want to fill in those gaps. And historically, people have filled those gaps in with mythology. Right, right. And that's okay. But, it, you know, it makes you think, well, how can we do this successfully? I think Science Mike is a guy who's who's doing that. So um, before we go to that interview, though, I want to encourage you guys, even though I didn't have wine for the Neil event, I usually do. Yeah. And if you would like to try some wine that's specifically designed and chosen to match your palate, go to wink.com slash brain candy, and you're going to get your first order for $22 off, which is a great deal, and free shipping. And uh, you get these wines that are basically like based on what kind of food you like to eat, what kind of drinks you normally like coffee or do you like you don't tea? have to know about wine to pick your flavor thank profile. you yes yes you yeah because you that's... can be a regular person not yeah. a wine snob and get really awesome stuff yeah if you want if your person is like i don't know where to begin I, right if you're buying because of the label yeah <laughs> yes. which many of us do uh, that try this instead go to wink yeah. 
It's winc.com slash brain candy for $22 off your first order. Um, did you want to talk about anything else before we go to Science Mike? Oh, no. I'm excited to hear uh, from Science Mike. I did, well, did want to tell you one article that I read recently that I thought was super interesting. It was uh, You probably saw it. It was on social media about why do Americans smile so much? Uh, why? Um, well, because you hear this a lot, yeah. and it's usually a criticism uh, of, like, stupid Americans yeah. bebopping around yeah. the globe, like, hi, everybody! And it, uh, people ask me in England when I go for Adam, they they talk about friends, and they're like, why are you guys excited about everything? Going to the coffee shop? And, <laughs> and so, so not cynical. This article was talking about a couple things, which the first is that it shows, science shows that countries who have a very high immigration rate have to rely on nonverbal communication to a much higher extent because for many years we didn't all speak the same language. Like 150 years ago, 100 years ago when there was all these immigrants coming in and you see a guy, you want to be able to say, I'm a friendly person. So we got used to saying, hey, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. Yeah, like we're I'm not an outsider. Yeah. So we would use facial expressions to demonstrate friendliness or anger, whatever it was. Oh my God. And smile was a way of saying, we're, we're okay, we're cool. And then on top of that, when you combine it with the way that the United States has been built on uh, optimism yep. and like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and mm-hmm. we're going to get there, we're the best. Dang. And so combining those two things has made us, because they also measured physically the How smile big. and we're like super toothy about it <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like that and you think i almost smile as a way to tell people like i'm with you yeah yeah i do that I so totally do that. that's i thought that was really cool i'm gonna put that in the newsletter if you want to sign up for the newsletter go to uh, the brain which you should also be going there to check out our steminist and yeah! you matter and Brainiac yes. tank tops. Oh, the Brainiac one's super cute. Which are really cute. So go get your merch. Do we have a kid Brainiac one? We do. We should put it up. I didn't put the thing up. But oh, we, we need to put that up. Because I feel like if anything, anybody That's should a really be. good point. So cute. Yes. Thank you, Sarah, for little that bra- idea. Can you imagine sending your little kid to school with a shirt that's a Brainiac? Oh, God, it's precious. <laughs> I can't take it. All right, people, here is an interview with my friend, Science Mike. A real brainiac. A true brainiac. We're not, not like us, an imposter. We're not worthy. (laughs) Um, And you should check out his book, Finding God in the Waves. Before I introduce our guest, I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't done it already, you need to go to stamps.com and try this service because anytime you order merch from us, or anytime you win one of our prizes, I simply go to my computer, print out postage right at my desk, slap it on the package, and ship it right from my door. I don't have to leave my workspace, which is freaking incredible and super convenient. And you can now try it for free if you go to stamps.com and click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in brain candy. Then you get a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. So this is awesome and definitely something that you should try. You know how it is. You don't want to have to go to the post office and all that rigmarole. This makes it easy and flexible and reliable. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Brain Candy for that special four-week trial postage and digital scale. Now, please welcome my new friend, Science Mike. 
All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Science Mike. That's what I'm going to call you. Is that all right? <laughs> it's, it's what the internet calls me. Right. That's what everyone's calling you. I didn't know that. I thought that maybe like you had dubbed yourself that and you were hoping it would catch on, but it was like the reverse, right? It was, yeah, kicking and screaming into Science Mike is really how it went. <laughs> Why? It just is like naming yourself after a discipline of study. <laughs> it just it's kind of seems it seems kind of a big leaguing title, especially for a non-scientist college dropout. So. Oh, that's true. All right, fair <laughs> enough. But now it's who you are. It's your identity. So totally, I accept yeah. it. Congratulations! I got a letter from my bank the other day, and it said, "Dear Science." You <laughs> lied. Do you swear? Did that happen? Tell me the truth. I do. It's hilarious. Why did that happen? The name of my LLC is Science Mike Labs <laughs> LLC. So they just took, I guess, the first word and made it my first name. So it's Dear Science. See, so fighting this is useless. <laughs> it's totally I mean, it's useless. official yeah. now. That's funny. <laughs> um, I was going to say congrats on your book, man, Finding God in the Waves. I just finished it, and it was freaking fantastic. And so I want everyone else to read it. You're a fancy bestseller now. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Pretty surprising for a first-time effort on a book, but I guess that's the the strength of podcasting these days. I suppose, and and good uh, good writing and storytelling. How do you feel? Do you feel fancy and accomplished, and like you're done now? Uh, I do feel fancy, definitely. I think fancy would be the primary feeling I have. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually really proud of that book. I worked hard on it for several years. Yeah. And I never had a plan to be a writer. But now that I've done a book and it's sold well, uh, I, I'm hooked. So I think and you'll see stuck, more books for me in the future. That's great. Because, well, when you were writing it, who did you imagine would be the reader? I thought about people who were in some middle place between spirituality and skepticism. People who uh, their atheist friends would say, gosh, you're too into this God stuff. It drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. But their more religious friends would say, your beliefs are too undefined and too weird. Yeah. And so they felt like they didn't belong anywhere. And since that's me, uh, I just kind of wrote to people in that mindset. And you, I imagine, hear from a lot of people that they feel the same way or they were like closeted about being somewhere in that middle ground. Is that the feedback you're getting? Yeah. So I do. I tour the country. Uh, I go city to city to city and, and hundreds of people show up in every city who have the same experience. Uh, obviously, I've got a podcast. So I know that, you know, a couple hundred thousand people a month tell me that they're in that place as well. And what's the gender breakdown anecdotally? Uh, anecdotally and in terms of data measurement, uh, it's about uh, 60, 40 female to male. Oh, wait, 60% being the? Female. No. Yeah, my audience is majority female. And the people that say that they feel the same way are roughly that same way? 60%? Yeah, so That's the, the, crazy my audience me. started out very male, yeah. and as the work has grown, um, it's become more and more, in terms of people engaging in, in the work and in the audience, more and more women. Does that surprise and I think that's, you? I, I'm, I've got kind of a, a Mr. Rogers <laughs> nurturing vibe, I think, and so I think uh, my vulnerability may not be a huge win for a lot of guys. <laughs> 
And I think uh, our society conditions women to be more prepared to be emotionally vulnerable than it does for men. Interesting. Because I thought, you know, because you're a self-proclaimed nerd, right? Mm -hmm. And there's this new or popularized nerd culture now with Comic-Con and all that stuff. And I thought maybe those guys would be flocking to you. Well, they, I mean, they are. Again, yeah. So 40 percent of my audience is still yeah. hundreds of thousands of people. But right. uh, I, I do like that even when I do events, uh, there's usually more women in the audience than men. I'm so glad. Uh, That's really encouraging. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, uh, nerddom, thankfully, I think is becoming more egalitarian. It's not quite the boys club that it used to be. Right. And uh, anecdotally, um I think in many cases, uh, women make even better nerds than guys. So Wow. All right. That's good news. I like that. So <laughs> um, in your book, and, and part of why I wanted to speak to you, you talk, of course, about this middle ground in which you, you live uh, intellectually and spiritually, and I can totally relate to that, and especially uh, was interested in the experience that you had whenever you were still uh, participating in a religious community and attending church and sort of a lot of the people you were around were believers and you mm-hmm. felt like you couldn't share your doubts and the feelings or the thoughts that you were having about your faith. Do you think that's changing at all? Or do you think that that is still the case where people are really stifled in that way? I think it's getting worse. I do too. <laughs> um, I think, we're so politically uh, polarized in the country, and and a lot of that happens uh, with a religious component. Yeah. And so I think what you'll find is that many communities are um, much more rallied around some shared belief as being essential. So I think that's certainly happening in, in religious communities like I was a part of. Uh, I think it's also happening in uh, all communities. I mean, imagine right now if you were a a vegan who told your friends, you know, I've been thinking about a steak. Uh, I feel like today <laughs> we're more and more kind of um, self-segregating around belief and value. In some ways, that's healthy, you know, as a, as a society uh, with, with our relationship to, you know, patriarchy and, and some societal control structures. Some of that uh, anger and some of that Unity is necessary to drive change. But ultimately, I think we need to get to a place uh, where we can respect and honor and celebrate people's journey and story and change and growth. And that needs to happen all through culture, but I think especially in religious communities. Whenever you were opening up about some of your uh, epiphanies, what at that time, the reaction was what? <laughs> uh, well, at first I would do this thing where I would ask for a friend. Uh, I have a friend who is wondering about no, the no, Bible. No, 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 you did <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I would be told, well, your friend is obviously being tempted by the devil. And I'd be like, for oh, real? you're tempted by the devil. Oh, yeah. What's the Southeast Baptist? Okay. Like, it's real. Uh, <laughs> That's intense. <laughs> old-timey religion. Yeah, it is intense. Right. So you learn really quickly, like, oh, I shouldn't share this. Um, so you just, like, internalize it, and and Google and books are your best friend, and you don't yeah. talk to anyone. And 
I had I went through this entire multi-year kind of duplicity where I pretended to believe things I didn't before I finally told people the truth about where I was. And when I when I did, it was it was it was disastrous. I think I think disastrous is a fair word. <laughs> it was. I mean, I feel like the book really has a happy ending, especially for the how the reader is concerned, because you provide a lot of um, hope for people that do share your experience. But what do you think the answer is for congregations? Like, is there any solution to this or realistically? I think there is. Yeah. I think where we are as a culture, you know, people are lonelier than they've ever been. People are longing to make a real difference in their communities. Um, people, uh, are looking for ways to celebrate and, 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 um, enmesh in their minds, major milestones in their life. And as we become so mobile and so fragmented, we've lost a lot of those rituals. And I feel like if congregations can focus on being places that are healthy and loving and supportive and, and people recovering from their own wounds in their life and become a place where, you know, the primary uh, point of affinity is communal involvement, making things happen um, in impoverished areas, making things happen in, in, in addressing environmental needs and, and cleaning up our spaces. I think you would find that instead of this exodus out of churches, you would have an exodus into churches because they already have the infrastructure to get this stuff done. But it means we need to make our congregations not be about <laughs> coercing and judging and convincing people to fit a certain mold and instead for people to discover what it means to live a life in service of others. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Why do you think that so many churches seem very resistant to the type of work that you're describing with, um, you know, the environment and, and the other ideas that you have. Why? Because it, do you think it's just too dang hard or what? It's easier I, to be like, oh, just gay people and abortion. <laughs> what? Well, okay. So that, that is true. If you look at same-sex marriage and uh, the pro-life movement, both of those um, don't have uh, religious points of origin. They're primary political Right. So what we've seen in the American church is a church that has been increasingly used and manipulated for political ends. Yes. And uh, I go to a church that is very strange. It is a <laughs> mixture of conservative and liberal people who go to church together every Sunday. And I think that's how church should be. Not yeah. that church should be apolitical. That's impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, but instead that the primary... Uh, goal and movement of churches should transcend politics. We can all agree that this gathering, you know, donations for this food bank in town is a good thing, right? We can all do that. No one's going to like deny that getting needy families food is good. 
Um, but but what we're seeing in this this reticent to engage in social justice in the church is fallout from the moral majority movement yeah. and the, the the alignment of right wing politics and faith in America. Are you opposed to starting your own church? I am super opposed to starting my own church. People <laughs> ask us that all the time. But I just want it. Um, you know, I. Uh, I'm I'm in I'm a Methodist these days, so I'm in a Methodist church mm-hmm. that I love. Uh, we're planning a move to Los Angeles this summer, and I suspect once I get out there, I'll try to find a, a church there as well. Well, if you find one, I'll go. You let me know. <laughs> I'll will. be there. Um, okay. So in the book, you talk about how when you let go of God, that it made you better at science. Mm-hmm. What? That, <laughs> tell me. Tell me everything. Well, you know, uh, for for people who, like I was as a kid, as a young adult, are really, really, really committed to their faith, not only as a way of living, but a way of thinking, yep. it gets in the way of science. Uh-huh. Because when I'm starting with the Bible and saying, well, if it's in the Bible, that answer is correct, that's the opposite of the scientific method. <laughs> right. Where you don't start with, I know these answers. You start with questions and examination. Yeah. And so when I lost all my assumptions, I was able to approach science on its terms, and then my brain could process it more readily. Okay. So where are you now? Because in a way, you've sort of embraced spirituality again, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you can still look at science correctly. Yeah. So I start with if I'm asking a question about the physical world, about reality, science is the best tool I have to ask those questions. What's the acceleration of gravity on Earth? Science is going to be <laughs> Real my helpful. jam to answer that question. <laughs> if I want to build an iPhone, then I'm going to use uh, a science. But all that kind of thinking happens in the prefrontal cortex, uh, uh, the the amount of the brain right behind your forehead, basically, and uh, specifically primarily centered on the left side. And for most of human history, we've mainly viewed reality uh, through more of a right brain holistic view. And so what faith does is allow us not to stop thinking scientifically, but to recapture some of the ways we view the world uh, before the Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, I, I'm a mystic. And that means my faith is not a, a bunch of ideas or beliefs. It's not, um, you know, a set of assumptions. But my faith is something that I experience. I love God. And through my love of God, I come to a knowledge of God. But that knowledge and this sounds super weirdo, and I understand it. But that knowledge is not like a, a set of facts we would think in the Enlightenment, but instead more of a holistic posture of being in reality. So that kind of a view lets me play with some unscientific ideas, like the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice. That's Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous quote. Uh, that's not a scientific idea but it is one that is beautiful and redemptive and Mm life-changing. And when approached mystically, you can live those things out without rejecting science. You speak about experience 
and how it's very important to you. And I'm wondering if amongst your sciencey friends, if uh, all of them share that desire, or you talked about how you had transcendence withdrawal, which I think was such a great way to frame after you left the spiritual world and were just science focused. Um, but do you think there are some people that just don't have that desire or need for um, transcendence and, and wonder? There are almost certainly people who don't have that desire for yeah. transcendence. Yeah. Um, and we've seen that in brain scans. Some people are very naturally um, more inclined to process things rationally, analytically, and primarily through the prefrontal cortex. And with almost any idea, they show a lower level of limbic system activation when compared to people with a more experiential bent. But believe me, this is not speaking of someone's intelligence being higher or lower, merely their uh, predisposition towards processing stimuli with different parts of the brain. Now, everyone appreciates awe. Yeah. Right. So, so scientific folks, they'll they'll see a certain equation. They'll look at a Hubble yeah, field yeah, yeah. view. They'll see something. They'll experience awe. Oh, but this this religious transcendence, or even you can drop the word religious, just transcendence, seems to be something that some people like me crave a lot more, and other people are perfectly content without. And do those people do, does that correlate with whether someone is inclined to be religious in the first place? The research uh, I've seen indicates probably that it does. Yeah. Um, there's several factors that lead people to be uh, more innately religious. Oddly enough, today, um, the the factors that sociologists and psychologists are uncovering that make people predisposed uh, towards religious experience and religious desire are more common in women than in men which is why we see uh, extreme secularization has a, a, a definitive masculine shift in the demographics, and uh, spiritualism tends to have a distinctly uh, female uh, shift in the demographics, which has always been an interesting thing to me if you try to look at it through an evolutionary lens, uh, what, how that drives behaviors, and to what degree hmm. have men been religious in the past uh, to impress women, <laughs> and to what degree has religion been so focused on male leadership yeah. uh, to counteract the fact that, in many cases, women are more innately spiritual? Right, and as uh, religious scholars are always pointing out, that women are often the ones lining the pews, and that men are the ones often in the pulpit, and that gets on my nerves, science Mike, but that's just the way that it's been, so... I don't know. I go to a church with a woman pastor, and that experience has made me think I probably never want to go to a church with a male pastor. Why? Um, there's There can be a, a power dynamic with male pastors. It's all about asserting yourself in a position of authority. Mm. And what I've noticed with uh, women pastors is that uh, it is much more about leading and nurturing and caring for people. Uh, now, again, a lot of this is, is highly socialized and because sure. of the prescribed gender roles we put on people. Yeah. Uh, but I think the way uh, women are socialized makes them more inclined to take on a genuine pastoral role 
as opposed to, uh, you know, a, a executive slash professor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is interesting. Um, okay. Do you get a lot of hate mail? What's going on? I get, uh, as a percentage of messages, <laughs> right. I get almost none. You know, my, okay. uh, one of my, uh, my, my speaking manager told me that compared to most of the rest of his roster, I, I just get very little heat. I was just wondering um, because it feels like you like you make everybody ma- mad. Nobody's going to be happy. The science people are going to be crabby because you talk about God. And then the God people are going to be happy because you talk about science. Yeah. Well, but they're I, nice so my too? audience is weird. I have like 10% of my audience is like hardcore atheists. Yeah. And 10% are pretty conservative religious people. <laughs> then you've got a lot of progressive religious people. You've got some agnostic people. And then you have some spiritual, not religious, I'm not sure people. And that's a really broad spectrum. Right. And uh, I think they, they all get along uh, <laughs> in my audience. And I think it's because the people that are drawn to my work are drawn to it because they have been judged so frequently and so harshly by other people mm-hmm. that they don't have energy left to do that to others. And um, I think when people get to the end of that rope where it's like, I don't know what I think, or even if I know what I think, I'm just done mm. uh, trying to make my belief about convincing others. I think that can be a really healthy place. I also think uh, I'm so careful to disclose that I'm an idiot who has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> it's hard for people to get too upset right. they when I say something you? ridiculous. Like, well, he's just, you know, I guess he's got a deep voice. That's why people listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> so in the time that you've been in the public eye and, and um, ha- have had an audience, have you noticed any changes in the things that they want to talk about or are concerned about? Yes, absolutely. What? Um, I've noticed uh, more and more questions about um, racism, sexism, and equality. That has been a huge, huge shift from when the work started, when it was mainly about, like, how do we make science mm-hmm. and religion fit together, which is still there. Yeah. But there's this big, big, big addiction of that. And then there's this other uh, line of questioning that's more and more frequent. Um, which is like, what do we do about sex? Mm-hmm. Because, I, you know, the conservative religious answers don't really seem to make sense to me, but I'm not sure if I understand everything that's happening in the progressive secular space. What does that mean in terms of sex and sexuality? So what do you say? Well, I, I think we're figuring that out. You know, I mean, so many of the, the biblical, and you can't see air quotes on the podcast, <laughs> but the biblical ideas about sexuality kind of treat women as property. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a healthy uh, uh, ethos, but sometimes I wonder if exclusively looking at sexuality through a lens of consent is sufficient to help people find healthy relationships and um, practices and behaviors. Um, so I think, you know, I think wherever we're going, um, it has to become a societal value that people get comprehensive in-depth educations about the biological components of sexuality earlier than they do now. Um, and that we are less likely to 
stigmatize and uh, and center shame in people's sexual experiences. Mm-hmm. So it's, in, instead of treating sexuality like either an impulse from the evil flesh or as some ultimate expression of uh, freedom, which is kind of what you'll see in, in, in the secular world, in, right. instead that it's one component of a healthy life that people have differing levels of interest in. Um, so for example, there's a lot of people who are asexual in my audience hmm. and they often find themselves even more feeling excluded and judged in secular contexts than they do in religious contexts. I could see that. So, yeah. So, that so how sense. do we, how do we honor all the ways that people relate to sex and sexuality? Oof, that's complicated. I like that you're doing the work. Um, (laughs) Whenever you, your book came out and you, I'm sure did a million interviews and talked about it so much. Was there anything that you wish that people asked, but then they really didn't? Gosh, people have been so good with the interviews. I don't know what that would be. Um, Or something that you would add now to the book that you didn't include? Oh, now that's good. (laughs) Uh, That's really good. That's easier to answer. Um, (laughs) Yeah, if I I could do that book over again, um, I think this is going to sound super weird for my uh, less religious followers. I would explore and talk more about... Uh, what the Trinity is and how that relates to the gospel and the story of the Good Samaritan. Why? Why would that be the thing? What do you mean? Well, so what's the difference between um, me being a Christian and me just being like, you know, just a spiritualist? Okay. And it's one of the reasons is because... um, Viewing uh, God or the divine through this three persons, three in one God, um, makes the meta narrative of the Bible make more sense and also helps us ask um, better questions about what is or is not a Christ like way to live hmm. when it's not explicitly spelled out in the Bible, or even when sometimes the Bible says things that are kind of crazy because it was written by a bunch of people over 1,500 years, uh, how we can redeem those ideas and place them in their context. Okay, so you would expand on that concept. I would expand on that, yeah. Now, luckily, several people have written great Trinity books since my book came out. Um, Richard Rohr's got one called The Divine Dance, which is phenomenal. Okay, and I ask everybody one last thing, which is uh, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? Absolutely nothing. What? My car looks like a rental. Um, (laughs) It does not. It does. There's nothing in it? There is absolutely nothing unless I'm going on a trip or whatever. Um, Why? What is happening in your life? I'll tell you exactly what happened. I, uh, (laughs) I used to just like never clean my car. Okay. So my car was just full, like a hoarder car, right? (laughs) So then like occasionally I would just go in my car with like 
big black outdoor garbage bags and throw away literally everything without looking at it. <laughs> and so then I just said, what if I just never, ever put anything in my car ever? And then now my car is always empty. That is so fascinating. <laughs> because I would like drive my car, this old Saturn Ion, and it yeah. just seemed like a waste of time to do anything to it, right? Because it was it was just an ancient, ancient car. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when I got rid of it, I drove motorcycles for a while, and then I had a wreck, <laughs> so I couldn't ride motorcycles anymore. So when I got another car, I wanted the car to always be as clean as the motorcycle, and you'd never leave anything on a motorcycle because it'll blow away. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I'm shocked, though, because the theory of the question was that my co-host and I said that it's like a metaphor for your life, whatever is in your, because it's like where you are in your life. Moms often have like strollers and things like that. But you, so your book describes you as finding this balance between science and spirituality and so i was expecting you know like just enough stuff like reusable bags and an umbrella (laughs) to be you know balanced not too much not too little but you're an extremist no quarter than uh, rental it's the open hand right (laughs) Right. like um one thing that's (laughs) happened is is since i've had that experience i don't experience the same um emotional attachment to physical things that mm-hmm. I used to. Mm-hmm. So I've gotten rid of almost everything I own. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't have very many things anymore. Well, how do you feel? Free? Great. Free. Yeah. Well, it's not that I, I resented the things. It was just, you know, just, just I gave them all away. I didn't sell them. I just gave everything away. And I have a lot of books. I have my computer for doing the show. Yeah. Um, I have a telescope. Because I like to look at the sky. That's nice. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't have a lot of things anymore. Wow, and an empty trunk. And an empty trunk. Yeah. I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> now, if you would have asked on the right day, I could have <laughs> said my telescope, which would have been perfect. That's true. When's yeah. your next telescope outing? Do you have them scheduled? Uh, I don't, but I will. I, I've just gotten off tour, so this is like oh. my fifth night home in oh. a long time. How's so. it feel? feels good. It feels really good. Uh, Was it draining I, on the road? More than I realized. I came back and I actually went to the ER. I had kind of a stroke-like episode. Uh, what? In there. Yeah. Yeah. Just a couple of days ago. What? Are you okay? What the heck? Uh, it turns out, so I had, a, I had a motorcycle crash a couple of years ago and knocked my head really hard. Double yeah. Double brain bleed, stretched my brain stem. And it turns out from going to so many dates in a row, I'd kind of aggravated that old injury no way um, yeah so they you said, sprained I, they your brain said I can't, yeah they said i can't travel so much so i've got to slow down the uh the that's road that's really scary <laughs> that's uh that's that's life as an organic you know machine uh experiencing wonder we're fragile and amazing but you're the only person I know that would and did like hurt their brain and just from overuse. <laughs> That's insane! Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're okay. And no, I'm doing great. Yeah, you got to take a break, but I do hope you continue writing because your book is really special, and I think a lot of people. I mean, you know, people come up to me wanting to tell me their religious and spiritual stories all the time. And a lot of them mirror 
your experiences. So I hope everybody reads it. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show, and thanks for being my e-friend. Dude, that was, this is a bucket list here. This is great. <laughs> bucket list, I'm so sure. And when you move out here, you let me know, and, and we'll say hello. I will. Thank you so much, Science Mike. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> Bye-bye. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.